Welcome to another edition of the SSPX Podcast, delivering sermons, lectures, and the spoken word from across the English-speaking world. Today we'll be hearing from Father John McFarland. He gave a talk to the St. Joseph Businessmen's Association in St. Mary's, Kansas, in March of 2014. The title of this talk is Striving for Success, A Catholic's Obligations. We've also included a couple questions from some of the men present and Father's answers at the end. Now, here is Father. Said we, we're trying to, to get back to business, to, to focus on, on the business side of the SJBMA, and um, that involves making good financially sound decisions, which is why I'm the speaker tonight because I don't cost anything. <laughs> Just keep in mind that you get what you pay for. <laughs> the, the title of this talk is, is Striving for Success. What, is, what are a, a Catholic's obligations in regard to pursuing success in his professional life? In his book, Action, Jean Ousset, a, a Frenchman who was very active in Catholic action in the middle of the 20th century, tells a story about a conversation he had with, with someone he refers to as an eminent man of religion, a priest. And he spoke to this priest about the great difficulty he had in mobilizing Catholics to get involved in Catholic action, to do things. And the priest said to him, not let that trouble you. The result matters little. The important thing is that you are gaining heaven. Is that the case? Usay's response was, without a doubt, it's reassuring to know that but we do not think that this argument can dispense us from concern about the efficacy of our action within the temporal order. For such action is quite pointless if it's ineffective. We are not looking in anything in our life, whether it's a question of, of Catholic action, whether it's a question of our professional life, to simply kill time. We're not just looking for something to do to keep ourselves busy. We should be looking to do the best we can to succeed in all of our endeavors. It's true, as we said, in the realm of Catholic action, and it's true in our professional life as well. There are a lot of misconceptions, or perhaps objections, on this subject. Firstly, we can say that there's an idea among many people who call themselves Catholic that Professional life, business, and Catholicism, our life as Catholics, are two entirely separate entities, and never the twain shall meet. Thus they would say, there's no limitation to what we do to, to seek success. And this can be a question of using dishonest means to be <coughs> successful. It can also be a question of where success in the worldly sense falls into the hierarchy of importance. We might think about the, the curie of ours and his battles to keep the, the locals of ours from doing their farm work on Sundays. Or we can think of those so-called Catholic libertarians who claim that the, the church's teaching on economics is gravely flawed because it doesn't take into account the market or whatever it is for them is the, the first and last word in economics. So either that we can seek career success without any limitations, or 
We can loaf. We can take it easy. I can do what I want, either succeed or not. There's no question of duty or moral obligation in these matters. There's no commandment about needing to work hard to accomplish anything. The second broad category, after business life and, and Catholicism being separate entities, the second big category of, of objections is that the church teaches that we must be absolutely detached from material goods. So we shouldn't be making an effort to, to be successful, because after all, doesn't our Lord say, be not solicitous for what you, what you shall eat or what you shall put on? This is kind of strange, a strange approach, but it is, it's relatively common. This idea that all I need to do is to be able to make a living and to support myself and my family. So I shouldn't overwork myself. More money is just going to be a temptation. I'm content with what I have. Success is in God's hands anyway. So if it comes hurtling out of the sky and falls in my lap, all right, then it's clear that God wants it. If not, then he doesn't. So what is actually the Catholic doctrine? We can turn, I think, to the, the parable of the talents. We all know it. At least I hope so. But let me just refresh your memories for the purpose of our discussion. And it's the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. For even as a man going into a far country called his servants and delivered to them his goods... And to the one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To everyone according to his proper ability, and immediately he took his journey. And he that had received the five talents went his way and traded with the same and gained other five. And in like manner he that had received the two gained other two. But he that had received the one going his way digged into the earth and hid his Lord's money. But after a long time the Lord of those servants came and reckoned with them. And he that had received the five talents coming brought other five talents, saying... Lord, thou didst deliver to me five talents. Behold, I have gained other five over and above. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, because thou hast been, been faithful over a few things, I will place thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he that had received the two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest two talents to me. Behold, I have gained other two. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, because thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will place thee over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. But he that had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knowest that thou art a hard man, thou reapest where thou hast not sown, and gatherest where thou hast not strewed. And being afraid, I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Behold, here thou hast that which is thine. And his Lord answering said to him, Wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I sow not, and gather where I have not strewed. Thou oughtest therefore to have committed my money to the bankers, and at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take ye away therefore the talent from him, and give it to him that hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, for to every one that hath shall be given, and he that shall and he shall abound. But from him that hath not, that also which seem, he seemeth to have, he shall have take, taken away. And the unprofitable servant cast ye out into the exterior darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> St. Gregory, commenting on this, says that this passage of the gospel admonishes us anxiously to beware lest we, who seem to have received somewhat more than others in the world, 
should, for that reason, be judged more severely by the maker of the world. For in proportion as gifts are increased, so is the account to be rendered for the gifts. Therefore, everyone should be humble concerning his talents and more prompt to serve in proportion as he sees himself obliged in rendering an account. The parable, all the commentators agree, is concerned in the first place with grace. But we can apply it in the broad sense to any gift received from God. And I don't think I need to point out that all the temporal blessings that we have, each one of us has received from God, who is the first cause of all things. Obviously, from those who receive a great deal, more is expected. Note well the power parable, however. A very strict account is demanded of the one who received the least as well. A strict account demanded of him who received the least. The master did not expect the one who had received a single talent to produce five more. But he did demand some return on his investment. That's what it was, an investment. And this servant who buries his talent, we can say is the very portrait of the mediocre Catholic. I did what I had to do. I didn't lose what was entrusted to me. Why have we been given what we have been given? So we can sit on it? God never acts in vain. He doesn't do things just for the heck of it. He acts for a reason. It's clear he wants us to use these things that he gives us. In the spiritual realm, certainly, but in the temporal realm as well. It is an investment on God's part. So whatever we have in the temporal realm, our natural abilities, the skills we've developed, our money, our resources, whatever, should all be used for the glory of God. We have a duty to do the best that we can, to strive to succeed in the use of the talents that are committed to us. And if you doubt it, you can look at what happens to the unproductive servant. He gets cast into the exterior darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The servants who double what they have been given, on the other hand, have succeeded in their endeavors and not by chance. They didn't just wait for good things to happen to them. They prudently used the gifts they had been given. It's important for us to point out, I think, the, the primacy of the supernatural. Man does not have a natural end. He could have if God had wanted him to, but in the concrete order of things, man has one end and it's supernatural. Everything we do, consequently, has repercussions in the supernatural order, whether these acts be good or evil. And the very essence of really living like a Catholic, really being a Catholic, pertains to the recognition of this truth. We do everything for God. <clears throat> I like to, to use the, the term Catholic, which means universal, and in its strictest sense refers to universality throughout the world, but to mean universal in an accommodated sense, to mean that our religion touches absolutely every facet of human life. It's all-embracing. For other religions, you know, it, it's just the, the only time where they're a member of that religion really 
is when they're you know burning the incense to their little god or listening to their preacher give his sermon on Sunday, but the rest of the time, they're doing their own thing. And for a Catholic, that does not exist. And if we have to do everything for God, can we do anything that we do for God half-heartedly? Can it be just good enough? Or it to be the best that we can make it? We can think even of Cain and Abel. So each of them offered sacrifice to God, God was pleased with the sacrifice of Abel and not with the sacrifice of Cain. Why? They both offered sacrifice. Cain did not give up his best, whereas Abel did. It's certainly true that often we fail, but to strive and fail is is a far cry from failing to strive. Ultimately, the result depends on God, but he demands that we put forth the effort required to succeed. We can't just put forth a half-hearted effort and hope things work out. In the first place, we have a personal obligation. Our duty of state, quite simply, something that we talk about a lot, we might not understand it as well as we might. God is demanding. God is demanding. And it's something that that we should not forget. God is merciful, yes, but he is demanding. Think of of all those years of of faithful service that Moses rendered to God. And for that moment of doubt, where he struck the rock twice, he's denied entry into the promised land. God is demanding. Our professional work is part of our life, therefore it has to be Catholic. And if it's going to be Catholic, it has to be the best work that we can do. It's a duty in justice. We have a personal obligation in justice to do the best that we can. If we're being paid for our work, our customer or our employer has a right to expect the best that we can do. And it's a great shame to hear people say that they and you do hear it, that they won't hire fellow parishioners because they're afraid of getting shoddy work. And that's something that should disappoint us, especially if it's, if it's referring to ourselves. So we do have a personal obligation in conscience to do the best that we can. We have an obligation to our families. Pius XI, speaking of working men, and talking about how they should share in the fruits of production, says, The purpose is not that these become slack at their work, for man is born to labor as the bird to fly, but that by thrift they may increase their possessions, and by prudent management may be enabled to bear the family burden with greater ease and security, being freed from hand-to-mouth uncertainty. Thus they will not only be in a position to support life's changing fortunes, but will also have the reassuring confidence that when their lives are ended, some little provision will remain for those who they leave behind them. He's speaking, in particular here, of the, uh, a desire that that the church has to see those people in, in positions of authority in business, the capitalists, if you want, practice greater justice towards their workers. Speaking in the 1930s, um, 
and also that civil governments ensure that this takes place, but we can see the application to the effort of the individual man, of what his obligation is to work to do the best that he can for his family. It would be failing in one's obligations towards one's family to deny them the peace and security that comes with an improved financial position if we fail to attain it by laziness or lack of effort. Having a bit more money, a bit more of a position, opens a lot of doors for one's children as well, as far as educational opportunities, for example. Obviously, such an improvement is not always possible, but insofar as it lies within our power, we need to strive for it. We need to see it as a goal worth seeking. We also have social obligations. Man is social by nature, it's something I've talked about in the past. I won't give you the whole rundown of the social nature of man. But briefly, we can say he needs other humans to reach physical, moral, and intellectual perfection. We don't learn to talk unless there's other people around <clears throat> speaking to us. We don't learn everything we can about life unless there's somebody to teach it to us. There's a whole bunch of virtues we can't practice unless there's someone around to practice them towards. You'll have the opportunity of practicing patience listening to me. If I wasn't here, you wouldn't have that opportunity. <clears throat> Individualism is not acceptable for human beings. It's, it's opposed to our nature. And man has duties towards the society in which he lives. The most basic is his obligation to contribute according to his capacities to the common good. And again, common good is one of those things that we could talk about for a very long time, but I'll leave that to Father Wiseman, who will be speaking to us at some point during the summer on the subject of St. Thomas's treatment of the common good. But we as Catholics at least recognize that this common good towards which we strive is the social kingship of Christ. And one often comes across traditional Catholics who can talk forever about the social kingship of Christ, but who never do anything at all. I mean, there's thousands of them on the internet. All kinds of forums, all kinds of people with magnificent dreams of setting up new political and economic systems, of reinstituting monarchies, of giving back to the church a rightful place in the temporal affairs of men. And my point is not that we can't talk about such things, certainly we can. And it's interesting. Interesting to consider the principles, the best way to apply them. But if that's all we're doing is talking, we're not accomplishing our duties. The most important question we should be asking is not, all right, if I was in charge of a Catholic utopia today, how would I set up the political and economic system? It's nice as an intellectual exercise, but it's not really that important. The question is, what can I do right now to work for the kingship of Christ in the spheres open to me? One answer to that question is, you can work to succeed in your professional life. So how does that help? It gives you more influence in the world. I don't know if any of you ever heard of, of Douglas Hyde, who's a, a very interesting man. Uh, he was a communist, an English communist. He was the news editor for the, the Daily Worker, which was the largest communist newspaper in England, uh, based out of London. 
1948, he quit his job, renounced his ties to the Communist Party, and with his wife and children, converted to the Catholic faith. Some years later, in the early 60s, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote a book called Dedication and Leadership, which is well worth reading. And in it, he's, without running through the entire thing, the burden of it is he's, he's pointing out that the communists have a system that's complete nonsense. It doesn't work with human nature. It's abhorrent to common, abhorrent to common sense. And yet, look at the dedication of the communists, is what he's saying. And then he contrasts that with Catholics and said, look at us. We have all the truth. All of it. We have the key to human happiness, eternally and even temporally. And what are we doing with it? Sitting on it. He tells a story in there of a, of a communist who, between the two world wars, was an agitator among the unemployed. So they would send him in to stir up the, the, the jobless people. If they wanted them to riot, they would riot. They had this big march on London. He led this march on London. Um, and then when the, the Second World War started, the vast majority of able-bodied men were either being incorporated into the, into the army or into the industries to provide um, arms and materials for the armies. And the, the Communist Party said to this guy, well, you're not going to have many unemployed people to rile up um, for a while, so why don't you find something else to do? So what he did was he returned to his, his former job. He'd been an engineer during the First World War um, in a fairly specialized field. He went back to his books, studied up on it, and got a job. And in a sector of the... Um, the professional world not noted for its communist sympathies, in fact, quite the contrary. And everyone in this place where he was coming to work said, oh, here comes the agitator. Well, he might be good at talking and getting people all fired up, but we'll see how he does at his job. And he showed up and got to work. And they were expecting him to be pushing communism, trying to get people interested, nothing. For months, all he did was do his job. And he did his job so well that he earned the respect of, of all of his fellow employees. And he, when the time came for them to elect a union representative, he threw his name in the hat and they elected him. And he kept climbing the ladder that way because he'd gained their respect by being good at his job, by being the best at his job. The communists have one test for whether or not they should use a particular plan of action. Does it work? If it works, they'll use it. You know, it's moral, it doesn't matter. Um, if it's legal, it doesn't matter. If it works, they use it. For us, it obviously, we can't apply the same test. But this, this method of working to acquire a position of influence by being the best at what they do works. And the communists use it a lot. And by the way, it's not illegal or immoral. It's something that we can use. You will have more influence the more seriously you take your work, the better you are at it. It's natural. We, we think highly of those who do a good job. When somebody does good work for us, we're more inclined to respect him. And we naturally, without anything malicious 
about it, we look down on slackers. And those who are in, in management and especially ownership positions are able to greatly increase the, their opportunities for having a positive influence on individuals and on society. For example, by working to make a, a workplace more Catholic, the atmosphere. If people know that if they hire a traditional Catholic, they're more likely to get a hard worker and a good result, that has a strong apologetical value, too. Now think about it. If consistently you come across these traditional Catholics and they're all good at their jobs, that's going to, to lead one to ask the question, all right, why? I got I to find out what's going on there. there. There's something more profound that I can't, I can't quite figure out. So influence in the world. Also, I have a great quote here from Aristotle. Money is useful. <laughs> uh, we probably didn't need the help of the greatest of the three Christian philosophers <laughs> to tell us that, but <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> what Aristotle means, in point of fact, is that money is a, is a useful good by which he means something that's ordered to something else. It's not a good in its, that we possess for itself. It's not an end in itself. Stuffing our mattress full of cash doesn't really do anything for us, except perhaps give us back pain. But it's, it's, it's something that we have so that we can exchange it for other things that are good. And money, consequently, is a condition sine qua non for doing any number of very worthwhile things. Running schools, for example, building churches, but also helping the poor, running political campaigns. If we have more money, that's not a bad thing, because we can give more money away. We can use it for more good things. These are things that, that build up the common good. Thus, we should not despise possibilities to make more money if they present themselves. All other things being equal, of course. We don't sacrifice our moral life to make more money. So, response to some of our earlier objections. So, we talked about those who say don't see any limitation on the seeking of success because they think of the faith and professional life as being separate things. And I mentioned dishonest means. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that one. If we're here, we know that our faith and the principles it gives us are supposed to govern every, everyday life and we can't lie and cheat to succeed in business. I hope. I hope we know that. The second thing is, is that hierarchy of importance. Where does success in business fall in the things we consider important? Our first duties are to God, of course. He occupies the, occupies the first place in every sphere, and we have to remember it. Then we have our duties towards ourself, and as an extension of ourself, our duty to our family. 
We have an obligation on the temporal level and on the spiritual level. Ultimately, we're responsible for our own soul, for the souls of our wives, of our children, but we can't let them starve to death either. That's not conducive to the saving of one's soul in general. And then social obligations follow after that. And the balance here is not always easy to, to figure out. So do I take a lower paying job and move closer to a Catholic school? Should I stay here and make more money but miss out on the school? Decisions like that have to be made, and they have to be made according to prudence. There's no easy answers. We can't say that, oh, go for the school always, or try to make more money always. It doesn't work like that. There's a lot of nuance to it, certainly. But we should be looking at how to best balance the accomplishment of all of those duties. A question we should often ask ourselves is, where can I do the most good? What's going to be best? We don't sacrifice the higher duties to the lower ones. But we don't forget that those lower ones are still duties either. Hopefully you, you figured out by now that the thing about loafing, loafing is out of the question. We're not allowed to loaf. We have obligations on many levels to do what we can to succeed. Because our life and our goods are not our own. They belong to God. That's the parable of the talents. God has made an investment by giving you what you have. And he's going to want to return. This question of, of detachment from worldly things is, is a bit more interesting. It's very much a question of intention. We're not seeking money and influence for their own sake. They are, as, as Aristotle would tell us, useful goods. They're a means to an end. We're hoping to more effectively bring about the reign of our Lord by using them, if they're available to us. And we have to remember, it's not the mere absence of material things that will make us detached. The poor can be avaricious. The rich can be generous and detached. It's not necessarily the way to bed, but it's possible. And even in Father Dilatore giving us a, a recollection at the seminary one time, telling us a story about a monk living in a monastery, doesn't own anything of his, of his own, but he became very attached to the shovel that he used every day for his work. That's human nature. We can cling to things regardless of how small and insignificant and ridiculous they are. If you've ever been on retreat, you've heard the story about the white rabbit. Everyone has a white rabbit, the thing he's attached to. The story of a little boy who has to give up his toy um, for those who are in need, and the one he really doesn't want to give up is a white rabbit. So we use it as an image of the thing we all cling to. And regardless of whether we have a lot or we have a little, we all have white rabbits, and we all have to try to be detached from them. Fear of temptation, the temptation that may be caused by having more money, more influence, cannot paralyze our efforts to attain a reasonable amount of success, because that success is not for ourselves. It's for our family, it's for society, and ultimately for God. If we can attain that success, we should, for those reasons. <clears throat> Far less is our religion an excuse for sloth, timidity, or taking the easier path. 
And when our Lord says, be not solicitous for what you shall, shall eat or what you shall put on, what he's saying is don't worry about it. Don't be over-anxious. Do what you're supposed to do and leave the result to me. Strive to succeed, but I'm the one who's going to take care of you at the end of the day. As St. Paul says, if anyone will not work, let him not. So, we can't be over-anxious about these things, but we do have to work for them. So what do we do? What do we do, concretely speaking? Set our own priorities in order. Am I doing the best job I can? Am I trying to be successful according to my position in the world? The point of the talk is not to try to turn everybody into CEOs, lawyers, doctors, or investment bankers. It's not what I'm after. The point is, whatever we do, we should be interested in doing the best job that we can. The best ditch digger on the ditch digging tr crew should be the traditional Catholic ditch digger. And people should know it. There are plenty of jobs very much worth doing and doing well that one will never make a fortune doing. Priest, for example. <laughs> My $20 stipend a day. Um, teacher, another example. We need good teachers. We need committed teachers. We need teachers who are working hard to do the best job that they can. Right? They're going to have a tremendous influence. They're going to do a very good work. They're not going to make a lot of money. Especially not here. <laughs> so that's the first thing, is to do what we do the best that we can. The second thing is we need to stop the uh, harsh judgment of those we, who we see applying themselves to being successful. This does happen and it's regrettable. Somebody's working hard and other people are running him down. Oh, he's just interested in the money. He's out looking for himself. Oh, we don't know that. We don't know that. And if we're, we should always assume the best of other people. And especially if it's our fellow Catholics, we should be thinking, He's trying to do the best he can for our Lord. And maybe that should prick us a little bit, stimulate us to do a little better if we can. We should never discourage the effort of others who are moving in the right direction. The third thing I would say is to encourage your sons and any other young men who you may have influence on in whatever way to make the most of their talents so that they can develop themselves into effective agents for the reign of our Lord in the world. Too often, our young men are content with mediocrity. They're content with just good enough. All right, I've got my minimum wage job and, and just enough money to save, now I can get married. And I need to get married as soon as possible and forget about thinking about anything in terms of a career. It may mean convincing them to put off marriage for a little while. Not a bad thing. It's good to think these things through. 
So I always tell the, the kids in, in my high school class when we, when we cover marriage, is that at the seminary we get five years to consider this state in life. For marriage you get six months in three classes. <laughs> a little more time, it's not gonna hurt anybody. It may mean moving elsewhere for a while as well. Moving away from St. Mary's or away from a priory and out of one's comfort zone also. And that's something, of course, that has to be evaluated on an individual basis. I'm not going to say that every kid should just sort of be thrown out into the world and told to fend for himself. But there are sacrifices that have to be made in, in this regard, and we shouldn't be afraid to make them. <clears throat> We're not going to become effective agents for the reign of our Lord in the world by burying what we have been given and by settling for mediocrity. If we really want to gain heaven by our work, as, as the priest said in, in Husay's story, we have to strive for success. We're looking to do the best for God. We're not just looking to keep ourselves busy. We're trying to advance the reign of Christ in our own souls, in our families, and in the world around us. And to do this, we need to be putting forth the effort to succeed, or as Husay said, our action becomes pointless. If our action isn't ordered towards success, it becomes pointless. And that being said, remember that we can also pray and pray to succeed. We can pray that a business venture works out. We can pray that we get a particular client. Of course, it's conditional that it be the will of God. We can ask for it. <coughs> So even in, in the Our Father, we say, give us this day our daily bread. We're asking for grace, yes, but for our temporal needs as well. We're asking that God give us everything we need. We're allowed to ask for these things on a temporal level. Right? Again, conditionally, subject to God's will, subject to what's best for our souls. But we should keep in mind the supernatural end of all of our activities, including what we do in, on, on the level of business. And this is what's going to help us to to use our professional work, again, not just as something to keep us busy until we retire or die, but as a real means for advancing the reign of our Lord in the world. Thank you. Are there any questions? I'll ask for Father. Alton Cochran back here. You talk about... Uh, you know, we shouldn't have the fear of temptation of making too much money because it'll bring on other, uh, it'll tempt us too much to do bad. But I, I think really the fear, as I see in most cases, is I see opportunities out there, but I fear I'm going to make this uh, commitment and then I'm going to fall on my face. You, know, you can't do anything without taking a big risk initially. You know, like, like you've been buying a house, you've got to put that 20% down. You know, you you gotta you gotta stick it out there, and then you gotta strive for it, and, and uh, I guess pray and hope that it comes. So I, I, uh, I guess I guess to get back to a question is, is uh, I think that's the thing I fear. Not so much that I'm so worried about making too much. <laughs> I wish I had that. <laughs> right, and I think that's the 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 fear of making making too much, so to speak, is a, is more of an excuse. Um, 
perhaps because of that, that fear of, of falling on one's face. And that is, you know, any, anything in life worth doing involves a certain amount of risk. And again, it's something that we have to, to take into account our, our particular abilities and strengths and our resources. And then to, if it's something that reasonably we think we can accomplish, we shouldn't refrain from taking the risk. I mean, there are times where we may fall flat on our face, and you know that's we, we can leave that in God's hands um, and try to pick up once we do. But um, yeah, I don't think I don't think the risk should be avoided entirely just as risk, or it's going to be difficult to to make a lot of progress. And if I can just since I, I guess I keep asking questions, uh, two books you mentioned in your your talk. Mm -hmm. One you recommended, Dedication and Leadership, yes. that was by who? Douglas? Douglas Hyde, H-Y-D-E. Okay. I'm, I'm not even sure if it's in print at the moment, actually. Oh, really? Well, there you go. Another opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the other one, you said the first one, Action. Action, quoted, yep. And, and that's uh, by some French guy? Yep. Jean Mousset. O-U-S-S-E-T. Mousset is a very interesting figure. He. Um, he was the head of an organization called La City Catholique, the Catholic City, uh, working for the reign of Christ, in, in, uh, particularly in France. Um, and he, uh, he wrote this, another book, his Manu Opus, which is, um, in English it would translate to, That He Might Reign. Uh, and he was looking for a bishop to write the, the, the preface, and he couldn't find one in France. They were all either too liberal or too scared of the liberals to, to, to write this preface for him. And so he got in touch with Archbishop Lefebvre in Dakar, and, and Archbishop Lefebvre wrote the preface for him, which got a, also did a, a good job of getting Archbishop Lefebvre on, on the bad list for all the French bishops. So when, uh, when they ran into him at the council, they already knew what they were dealing with, and they didn't like him. I thought it quite interesting that you quote, quoted from uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew concerning the three gentlemen with their talents. People need to step out of their comfort zone, single or married, and take care of their families, you know, because if they're not going to do that, who's going to take care of their families? And it's, and it's all a question of, of proportion, too. We, we are expected to use what we have. We're not expected to, to work miracles. Um, but, and the, the more we've been given, the, the stricter account we're going to have to render. And that's that should be a sobering thought for us to, to make the best efforts we can in, in, in all of our endeavors. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and rate the podcast so that more people can hear the beauty and truth of traditional Catholicism. For more news, resources, and updates, you can visit the U.S. District website at sspx.org or the English news website of the Society at fsspx.news.